Well, good morning again. Thankful, uh, so, so thankful for you and good to see and be with all of you this morning. <clears throat> if you're, um, I want to thank Joe and the worship team too. And I don't know about you, but <clears throat> if you're like me, I am kind of like undone in the best way by Lane's prayer a minute ago. That was a, a really special thing. And so I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> I want to, um, one announcement that I did not make a minute ago that I want to highlight really quickly. Next Sunday, uh, I think we have a slide for this, but next Sunday, it's also in the bulletin. Um, I want you to mark your calendars. I want, to, I want you to plan to be here uh, for worship, and I want, to, want you to plan to stay uh, one, after worship for class. And do we have a slide for that, Robert? Um, but for the Mexico fundraiser lunch that we're doing next Sunday after classes. Now, one of the things we're aware of is that when we, since we switched you know, over a year ago now, uh, and started doing worship first and then classes after, that, that makes events like this a little bit tricky if you don't stay for class. Um, so I want to encourage you to, to stick around next week because uh, we're going to do this lunch. We're doing a Mexico mission trip this summer. It's open to the whole church. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can also uh, learn some information about that. But we're going to have uh, a, a meal together, uh, and you're going to eat somewhere next Sunday. So we're asking you to choose to eat here and to spend whatever money you might spend at a restaurant here uh, so that you can, um, you can participate in helping to uh, offset the cost a little bit for this Mexico mission trip. So all the, all the money that's raised next Sunday is going to go to help make that mission trip happen this summer. And also there's going to be a dessert auction. Uh, we're going to, it'll happen. It's, it's been really fun. We've done it in the past, so we want you to be there for that. So just make note of that. Plan to eat lunch with us next Sunday after church. So, so today is the second and final uh, Sunday in a really short series that I'm doing on baptism. And um, one thing that I, that I mentioned last week that I want to do, I want to mention again that we're doing in connection with this uh, is on, on Easter Sunday, April 9th this year, we're going to have a baptism Sunday and we're uh, praying for those of you who might want to make that decision uh, to put Christ on in baptism that day. If you want to know more about that or you want that making that decision or you want to, to let us know that you want to be baptized that day, uh, you, can, you can let us know that. Um, one of the things that, that um, one of the reasons that we're doing this is that uh, we know that a lot of times people come, you know, you can be baptized any time, but we're hoping that sometimes that taking that first step, you know, you know you need to do it, it's time to do it, you want to do it, but having a day we kind of set aside, maybe some other people will do it with you. Uh, we hope we'll make that opportunity to make your faith public through baptism, uh, make that step just a little bit easier for you to make if you're praying and thinking about that. So just be aware of that. So last week when we, uh, we started this series, we looked at the event of Jesus' baptism uh, that happened at the Jordan River. And uh, multiple uh, gospel writers record this event of Jesus' baptism. And I, and I mentioned last week that you know, we, we, st we started with Jesus' baptism, but it, it kind of took us back to uh, we, the Old Testament. And we focused on what happened at the Jordan River when Israel, the nation of Israel, passed through the same Jordan River that Jesus was baptized in to go into the Promised Land. And so I mentioned that what was happening in Jesus' baptism is, is really that he was reenacting Israel's story uh, and, and really doing that in a better way. Because if you think about what happened, Israel passes through the Jordan and they go on to try to establish their own human kingdom, their human nation on earth. But when Jesus passes through the Jordan River and comes out of the water, he comes announcing a, a kingdom that is made available for everybody, God's kingdom. 
a kingdom that is, um, that is accessible and that has been created for the entire world. And we talked about the fact that that is one way to think about uh, baptism. And we talked about the fact that when a person is baptized, that part of what's happening is that it's connecting us. If you've already made a decision to be baptized, and you've maybe, that's maybe made that decision a long time ago, uh, what was happening, whether you realized it or not, was that you were being connected to this larger story of what God has been doing all along and bringing people from one life into a new life. That happened with Israel as they wandered and they were slaves in Egypt. They wandered around in the wilderness. They went through the water and they went into their new life. And Jesus reenacts this same story and invites us to participate in this same story. And so we walk through the water. We invest, we immerse our lives, our bodies into our faith and proclaim Uh, our trust in Jesus with our lives. And so it's one thing to say say you believe something, right? Like if I asked you, you know, do you believe this this idea, right? And you go, yeah, I believe that idea. It's one thing to say you believe something with your words. It's another thing altogether to give your life to something, right? This is one of the reasons that you appreciate, and all of us have a deep appreciation for people who have served our country or serve any country. Like the, the fact that anybody would serve their country in that way, it's one thing to say that, that you believe in something. It's another way, thing to give your life to it, right? And so this is, a, this is an idea that exists uh, in, in, this, in this baptism story, that we are not just saying we believe, we are giving our lives away to Jesus. And so today, I, I want to take that idea and kind of build on it, but I want to go in a little different direction and I want, to, I want to look, think about a couple of questions. One of, the, one of the questions is, what exactly is it that we are doing when we are baptized? And, and then what is happening in that event? And so I want to start with a story, a story uh, maybe some of you have heard of the guy Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, if you've ever been to Branson, Missouri, uh, maybe you've seen him perform. He's a Ukrainian-American comedian that has performed in Branson for many, many, many years. And one of his jokes is, I'm not going to try to retell, but I am going to try to tell it, is about the first time that he came to the United States of America. And he says he goes in the grocery store for the first time, and he walks down uh, into the store, and he walks down the first aisle, and he sees powdered milk. And he's like, well, that's interesting. And so he picks up the powdered milk, and he begins to read the label, and it says, just add water, and then you have milk. And he's like, that's amazing. It's unbelievable. You can have milk, it's powder, and you add water, and then, boom, it's, it's, it's milk. And then he walks over. That's, that's impressive enough, but he walks over a couple more aisles, and he sees powdered eggs. And he looks at the label, and it says, add water, and voila, you know, you have, you have eggs. And he thinks, unbelievable. And then he says, he walks a couple more aisles over, and he sees baby powder. And he says, what a country. Babies from powder. Okay, so what's the point of that story? I want to start with that story to say this. Sometimes I actually think that baptism is viewed that way, right? That you just add water and poof, you know, everything happens like it's supposed to. Uh, but it is so much deeper than that, of course. And I want to, I want to invite you to look uh, at Romans 6, chap- uh, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. It's going to be up here on the screen as well. Listen to what Paul says when he writes to the church in Rome about baptism. This is what he says. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, I want to leave that up for just a second. Obviously, I've highlighted some phrases or words in that passage, and I want, I've, done, I've done that to try to emphasize and highlight the language that Paul is using, right? Do you hear it? You hear all the death and resurrection language that he uses. I want to say it this way. Baptism unites us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a way that you and I get to participate in the saving work of Jesus Christ, our death is connected to death, Jesus' death, in a profound way. And Paul, as he's imagining this, as he's talking about this, as he's thinking about baptism, he imagines baptism as a moment that, like Jesus did in the Jordan River, your baptism actually reenacts the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a physical act that even, even the look of it is similar to death and resurrection. I've talked about this before, but when someone is baptized... You know, you, you, they go down into the water, and then they come up out of the water. They're, that's intentional, right? There's some intentional thing being done there so that it looks like a death, and it looks like someone is being brought back into life. And so that's something that I want you to be aware of. Now, the other thing you need to know is that the word baptism also means to dunk or to dip or submerge or immerse is the word that we often use. So on a practical level, as you think about what happens in baptism, Uh, This also explains, I think, why we baptize someone in water and immerse them in water because it's actually what the word means. When you think about it, though, this way, the event looks like the thing that it represents, right? Jesus died and was buried and was raised. You die and are buried and are raised, which also means, actually, that even... And one of the reasons that I love that baptisms happen in public, you don't, you don't usually see where, you know, ba- baptism goes, you know, you can, you can do this, but I think that baptisms were designed to be done in the community, even if that's a little bit embarrassing, even if that's a little bit difficult, even if that's a little bit hard, it was designed to be witnessed by other people because many times the people who are witnessing, witnessing the baptism have already been baptized themselves. But what's actually happening when we witness a baptism is that we are, we are witnessing a reenactment of the gospel story. We are witnessing another person who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, immersing their life in the story of Jesus, into the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You're witnessing this reenactment of the gospel over and over and over again, every time we see one, which is a powerful way to visually remember. Like next time you see a baptism, I want you to remember that. That's what you're not just watching them do that. You're watching their, them begin to begin to immerse their life in the same story that you at one point, if you've already been baptized, immersed your life into. It's a, it's a similar practice to the practice of the Lord's Supper, right? You, you, you eat something, you put something, you do something with your body to help you remember an event that took place. Now, one thing, I, one question I want to address, because it comes up a lot when people are talking about baptism, is, Doug, I was sprinkled maybe as a child, so what about that? Uh, and I, so I want to speak to that for just a second. I want to start by just acknowledging that I, I deeply appreciate the heart of this situation. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Because when I, when, when I think about it, when a family has their, their, their baby, their child sprinkled. What I think is being communicated there is 
uh, a word of blessing. I want to dedicate this child to Jesus. I want this child to grow up and to follow Jesus, which I think all of us would agree is a good thing. Our equivalent to that practice is baby blessings. I was telling Denise and Chelsea earlier this morning when I saw Bodie walk in the door, and I was thinking, I was thinking about him this week and his baby blessing that we did a couple of weeks ago, right? The, the idea is when we stand up here with a family and we pray over a baby, I don't know if you've ever noticed or you've thought about or paid attention to what we say when we do that prayer. I say the same prayer almost the entire time I've been here. I've said the same prayer for every baby, and that's intentional. First of all, I don't want anybody to go, wait, you didn't say that prayer for my baby. What about, why'd you say it for their baby? But more than that, I've thought about those words. I've, I've given time to thinking about how I want to say that prayer. And one of the things we pray when we do a baby blessing is that we pray for the lips of this child, O Lord, and we anticipate the day when they, when they will proclaim their trust in you, right? So if you think about what happens when a child is sprinkled as something like a baby blessing, what, imagine the joy that we f- would feel, and we're getting, getting to the point now where I've been here long enough that many of the people who we've done baby blessings for are making decisions to be baptized. And so that's going to be, that's happening already, and you're seeing that. But what's, what, imagine as you think about that, that what you're seeing in a person's baptism who has also been blessed as a baby is the culmination of the event that we prayed for a long time ago, right? That we asked God, we anticipate God the day when this will happen, when they will proclaim their trust in you. And so as I think about that, that's kind of how I make sense of that. I, I think our practices, though, at some point in a person's life, in their faith journey, it involves this moment when they personally acknowledge that they want to follow Jesus, when we decide on our own to go public with our own faith and submit our life to Christ, and that we see anything that's happened prior to that as the, the confirming of uh, the blessing that happened, not the cancellation of that, uh, and, and so that we feel joy as a result of experiencing this child who maybe has experienced that as a child, whether they did or not. Now, another question that comes up, maybe more often, is I was baptized when I was younger, but I didn't really understand, you know, I didn't understand what I was doing. That one comes up a lot. Or my life took some unexpected turns. I didn't live, uh, you know, in the way that I want to after I was baptized. So do I need to be rebaptized? And my response to that is always Uh, that I don't ever want to stop somebody from doing that. I think that sometimes there is power in renewing your commitment to the Lord, which is the way that I think about someone being rebaptized. And sometimes that needs to happen, and I I support that 100%. But I also want to acknowledge that it's not required. Uh, I I was a worse person after I was baptized, and so were many of you, right? Um, And that didn't nullify or cancel out my commitment. I just didn't understand what I was doing. And I have stuck with it, like we will hope everybody does, and continued on the journey with Jesus so that today I have a better understanding of the life that I committed to then. And so I think that, you know, I think that the, the idea that we have to hold on to when we're thinking about baptism is not that if I get it right, I'm saved. You hear me? Like that if I get it right, then I'm saved. If it's always that Jesus got it right, And I trust him to be saved. You with me on that? Our understanding of Jesus and the gospel grows as we grow. 
And so the goal is not to have it all figured out when you make that decision or even to, to you, wanna, you want to live into the way of Jesus, but you realize you're going to do that with, you know, two steps forward, one step back sometimes. The goal is to know that Jesus loves you and that you love him and that you are ready to surrender your life to him. But there's also more that's going on. So I wanted, I wanted to talk about that. It's kind of almost two sermons within a sermon because, again, I'm doing kind of a short series here. But there's more to baptism that is going on than just that. We, we are participants with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That is part A to the sermon. But there's part B to, to what I want to say, too. And I want to talk about that. I want to look in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, to see to kind of see what I mean, what I'm talking about when I say that there's more that's going on. So first of all, to kind of set this up, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has returned to heaven. And the disciples and the earliest followers of Jesus are all gathering in Jerusalem, which is where Jesus told them to gather. And they're, and they're gathering there, and while they're gathering, the Holy Spirit descends upon them to earth. And so we're going to read part of that story. I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to go through verse 6, and then I'm going to skip to verse 12, just to kind of give us a sense of what's going on in this story. Luke writes this. He says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the sound of the, the wind blowing in and the flames of fire dancing above people's heads and the, the people speaking in all these different languages, when they heard this sound, a crowd, of course, followed and came together in bewilderment. Because each one, each person heard their own language being spoken. Skipping down to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean that I'm, what does this thing I'm seeing mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. So after Jesus kind of set up what we're talking about here, after Jesus was raised from the dead, but before he returned to God, he told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that the Father would receive. That's how he said it to them. And so they had been waiting in anticipation of whatever this gift was going to be. They didn't have a full understanding of that. And so as they're gathering on a traditional Jewish holiday, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. And Luke says that God shows up and there's a wind and there are flames that dance over their heads, the heads of the disciples, and they start speaking in a language that isn't their native tongue. And because it's a holiday and people descend on Jerusalem on all the major Jewish holidays, there are lots of people there that speak all sorts of different languages. So God's timing is intentional. He's sending a message that this spirit that is coming into the world is going to impact people's lives everybody's life, not just the people who speak a certain language. And they start hearing these Jewish disciples speaking a language in their native tongue. And so they're confused, and they're like, what does this mean? What's this all about? And because it doesn't make sense, someone comes up with the idea and says, I know why it is, they're drunk. It's kind of a crazy story, and it ends in a crazy way with that accusation. 
Luke tells us what happens next. Listen to this. Let's pick up in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with, right after they were accused of having too much wine, Peter stands up with the other 11 disciples and raises his voice and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. Then I'm going to skip down to verse 29. He says, this is after a long speech, the long sermon he's been giving. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day in Jerusalem. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him, promised David on oath, that he would place one of David's descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. That's a reference to Psalm 16. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we, all the people who you see speaking, are all witnesses of this. Sorry, I lost my place. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Peter starts preaching in an attempt to explain what has just taken place with wind and with fire. And he says, God is on the move. God has shown up. And he goes on to tell them that Jesus died and was buried and has been raised to life by God. And now, because he has returned to heaven, he promised that he wouldn't leave us alone. So he has received the Holy Spirit from God, Luke says. Peter communicates here. And he has poured it out here. So I want you to think about the Holy Spirit this way. And I've said this before years ago. One of the things that I I think helps kind of make sense about what is the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ living in you. Right? When Jesus was on earth, he was fully God and he was fully human. Human beings, all of us, only have the ability to be in one place at a time. Right? Jesus could only be in the place that he was while he was on earth. He was, he was located in one place, just like every, he was limited by that piece of humanity, just like every human being is. As much as we might multitask or try to be in multiple places, we don't do that. We can't do that. Our physical bodies can only be in one location. So I want you to think about the Holy Spirit this way. When Jesus was on earth, he was located in one place. And because he was here, he could only do the things, ministry, he could only impact the lives of people, he could only interact with people who were, at, who were wherever he was because he was limited in some of the same ways that humans are limited. But what happened when he returned to the Father is that he went from being in, located in one place to now as spirit without not, he was not embodied, he was not in a body anymore. He went from one place to being able to be in every place. And I, the way I've talked about this before is that I think this explains how what, what, what God in his brilliance and his wisdom knew was that if Jesus stayed on earth forever like the disciples wanted him to, the message wouldn't spread. But what God did was he said, I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to multiply him by millions and I'm going to put him into the hearts of the people who follow me so that wherever they go, I'm actually going. Which is how we could stand here, sit here in Kaufman, Texas in 2023 and be talking about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lives here even though he was never physically here. 
Amen? And this is what you believe, whether you've thought about it this way or not. And then Jesus, so Jesus leaves the Holy Spirit and comes to earth and fills people. And then Peter finishes the sermon with this line. He says, God has made this, it's this very convicting line. He says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the way that Luke tells the story in Acts, the people can't believe what's happened. They're, they're stunned, they're shocked, they're in awe. They can't understand exactly what's taking place, but they're beginning to get a glimpse of what God is up to, that God is on the move. And this is what Luke says next in, Luke chapter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this sermon from Peter, when they understood what had taken place, right, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do in response to this? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive this gift that you've just witnessed be poured out on the people here. This promise is not just for you. Here we go. It's being spread to everybody. It's for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all people who are far off, for all the people whom our, the Lord our God will call into his family, which is everybody. They're cut to the heart because they're seeing this story come together, right? David said one of his descendants was going to sit on the throne, and now God not only raised Jesus from the dead, but God gave Jesus the Spirit to pour out here on the earth. Their minds are blown. They're, they're processing the fact that Jesus went from located in one place to be, Jesus being located in every place. They can't believe that God has not abandoned them. So, so what does Peter do in response? Peter's response to their question is to invite them to be baptized. So the question that I want to ask is why? Why is that the response that, that Peter offers in response to their question, what do we do? And this is why. It's because of what I said in the beginning of the sermon. There is something different about believing something in your head and believing it with your body. There's a difference between talking about an idea and giving your life away to the idea. You with me? Peter is asking them essentially, will you take this belief so seriously, this, this thing you've just witnessed that you want to be a part of, will you take it so seriously that you'll die like Jesus died so that you can be raised like Jesus was raised? Because if you will, he says, then the good news is that Jesus will be with you just like you've seen happen here with wind and with fire. Jesus will come to be with you in the form of the Spirit of God that will live inside of you. Let me say it this way. Baptism brings about the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Baptism is linked together with the Holy Spirit, which, which leads to the last question that Last thing that I want to address about this in regard to this, and for some of you, this won't maybe resonate as much as it will for others, but for years in my life, and for many of you, you've heard the same conversations, the conversation when you talk about baptism and the Holy Spirit, for years, a primary conversation has been, well, when exactly does it happen, right? Like, when is the exact moment that a person receives the Holy Spirit, and how exactly does that happen? And I want to say this morning, I've talked about this before about eight years ago, this part of the sermon. 
I want to say this morning that all of that is not as clear as we might think. And here's what I mean. Some of you have always heard these verses in Acts chapter 2 used to explain baptism and the Holy Spirit. But there are also several other passages other that offer some unique perspectives on this that are also in the book of Acts. I'm going to look at two of those this morning. In Acts chapter 8, Luke, who's the, who's the writer of Acts, writes that there's this group of people that have accepted the word of God and are baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So again, not in Jerusalem. There's a group of people who have accepted the word of God, and, they, and Peter and John get sent as representatives to go check this thing out that's happening. Next slide is good. So he says that when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So apparently those in Samaria received the Holy Spirit some time, maybe significant amount of time, we don't know, long enough to travel from wherever Peter and John were to Samaria after their baptism. But then two chapters later, later in, in the book of Acts, Cornelius and his family are baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit before their baptism. Look at, look at Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So everybody who heard Peter's message that day has the Holy Spirit poured out on them, and they are also baptized. So the question that I want to ask is, how do we make sense of this, right? Is it Acts 2's version? Is it Acts 8's version? Is it Acts 10's version? Right? How do we make sense? Is, it, are they, is, is Luke being inconsistent? Did Luke forget in, that he told this story this way in Acts chapter 2 and then decide and then mess up and not tell it the same way in Acts chapter 8 and then not tell it the same way in Acts chapter 10? Which one are we supposed to believe? Which one is the right way? Which is why this issue has created a lot of conversation. And the answer is all of them are right. And here's how I want to suggest that we think about baptism and the Holy Spirit. Baptism and the Holy Spirit in Scripture are always in close proximity to one another. I want you to think about it for a moment. <clears throat> what is the book of Acts about? If you don't know, it's the story of the early church. It's the story of this first group of people. Jesus is gone from the earth, has been poured out in the form of spirit so that now he can be everywhere in every place. And Acts is the story of this, un, this group of people who don't know what to do initially. They're scared out of their minds because their leader is gone physically. And God sends the spirit to be with them. And the story of Acts is the story of these first people who believed in Jesus and whose lives were transformed by Jesus Christ. It's the story of these people who received Jesus' presence into them, the Spirit of God, into their lives. And I think that the reason that Luke includes these different stories, which you have to read all of Acts to get. You can't just camp out on Acts 2.38, which has happened a lot in the past. I think the reason that Luke includes all of these different stories is because when a person receives 
the Holy Spirit isn't exactly the point. Luke isn't writing the story to give us a pattern for exactly how things are supposed to happen all the time. That's how our brains work. It's like, I want to understand everything that God does all the time. And God is not interested in telling us all the ways that God works all the time. Luke is writing the story of Acts to tell us the good news that God will not leave you alone. That Jesus came to live and to show us how to be human. And he died on a cross and was raised on the third day. And that sometime after that, he returned to heaven. And that, church, could have been the end of the story. But, but it isn't. Praise God. The rest of the story is that God loves us enough to send God's presence to be with us. And regardless of when or how it happens, what we need to know is that in baptism, that people are filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the reason that this matters is because that power makes possible things that were once impossible. Things like dying that that Jesus calls us to do, like dying to ourselves, like taking up our cross and following him. Things like loving our enemies. That's not possible on my own. It's only possible because the presence of Christ is at work in me. Extending radical forgiveness to people who have hurt me, who have hurt you. That's not humanly possible. Left left to our own devices, we wouldn't choose forgiveness. But because we're empowered by the Spirit of God, we have the ability to, we are empowered to, we are enabled to extend forgiveness forgiveness to people who have hurt us. The abil- I actually think the ability to grow as a disciple of Jesus, to mature in Christ, happens is the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't work harder and manufacture our effort and try to you know, become super spiritual people. No, we, we, we grow as the Spirit works in us. Now, we have the ability to, to present ourselves to God in a way that helps that process happen, but it's not us that's doing it. And those are just a few, th- few ways that the Spirit of God makes possible things that were impossible. God loves us so much that he promised to never leave us alone. And one way that we experience that is through the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And that, church, is good news that is worth not just believing with our heads, believing in our minds, but giving our lives to, immersing baptizing our bodies into the life and death and resurrection of Jesus so that we ourselves experience life and death and resurrection too. Let's pray together. Father, we we come this morning thankful for this, this physical act of baptism that you've given the church and that Christians have been practicing for thousands of years that we When we participate in it, we're immersing our lives into the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And we are putting ourselves in proximity to you so that you can pour out your spirit upon us, God. Help us to be people who will receive this good news that you, God, promise to never leave us or forsake us and leave us here on the earth. You you didn't go just to the cross and then out of the empty tomb and then go back to heaven and leave us as orphans here. You promise to stick with us to the end. 
And for that, we are so thankful. And for that, we want to commit to give our lives to your kingdom. Not just believing it with our heads, but giving our lives and our bodies away to it as well. We pray, Father, that you will work in the hearts of those who are thinking about making this kind of significant decision. And you'll work in the hearts of those who have made it long ago. That you'll renew within us a spirit, God, that is encouraged by this good news. That we are people who have the spirit of you living in us. And that promise, that good news, enables us and empowers us to do things that we were once unable to do. To be people that we were once unable to be. We pray, Father, that you'll encourage and you'll spur us on toward love and good deeds as we live our lives for you. We pray in the almighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our brother and our Savior, and the Spirit of God that lives in us, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing another song this morning, and then we'll be closing our shepherd's prayer. Uh, We'll invite you to find somebody around you to pray. If you need to do that, respond to God, however you may need to do that this morning as we sing this song.